On November 13, 2015, a group of artists and city officials stood in a theater lobby in Chicago, ready to give their city an audacious gift. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Jenny, and all of our distinguished and beloved guests. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and this city dreams big. With those words, uh, Barbara Gaines, founder and artistic director of Chicago Shakespeare Theater, kicked off Shakespeare 400 Chicago, a commemoration of the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death like no other in the world. Behind the announcement was an unprecedented mobilization of the city's cultural and administrative resources. Just how unprecedented was made clear by the presence at the ceremony of Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And so to everybody that's here that has made Chicago unique, made Chicago home, and to the intellectual and cultural enrichment of this great city, Shakespeare 400 Chicago will continue to both honor Shakespeare and honor our great city. So to all of you, thank you very much. Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. This podcast is called In This City Will I Stay. Shakespeare 400 Chicago has been over now for four months' time, which is enough to take stock and give an impression of how it went. We asked Barbara Gaines to do just that, and she was kind enough to agree. She's interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Well, just so everyone listening has a sense of the enormity of Shakespeare 400, why don't we start with a speed round of statistics? How many theaters participated? How many people attended? That kind of thing. Overwhelm us. (laughs) Okay, here we go. We had 60 cultural partners in this effort. We had 863 events, 1,000 plus artists, 1.1 million attendees, and 38 restaurants and chefs participated. That, I mean, that's like the Olympics of Shakespeare. And, and there was an international component too, right, that went from straight up performances? Oh my gosh, yes. We had many, many international, um, well, from 11 different countries, sometimes um, several different performances from the same country. So I, I wonder, I'm routinely one of five other people in my local art theater watching movies with foreign films with subtitles. So you didn't find that with the the foreign language productions that oh. that it put people off? Oh my God, no. It, 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 this is what happens. You sit down, you look at the subtitles, and the acting is so brilliant. You don't need the subtitles. You're completely mesmerized by the work on stage because the work we chose was electrifying. Great art does not need words. Great art stands alone. For Pankos, they sure have I found my mind. For them, the gracious Duncan, have I murdered. For dragons in the vessel of my peace, only for them and mine eternal jewel given through the common enemy of man. How you were born in hand. How crossed. The city opened its great, big, beautiful cultural heart, not only to the culture of Chicago and to international visitors, 
But we also opened it up in a great way to the entire city of Chicago. For instance, one of our performances is, is known as Shakespeare in the Parks, and it's free. And we go to 19 parks all over the city, in the south side, the west side. But we really get out to parks that are underserved culturally. And I, we had, you know, at first we thought we would have 50 people at each performance. We had 1,000 people at each performance. People brought their lawn chairs, their dinners. We performed on a truck that opened up to a stage, and just did you know this fabulous production of Twelfth <laughs> I love that, Night. Like, not like a food like a food truck. It's a Shakespeare. truck. Exactly, it's a Shakespeare <laughs> truck, and it traveled all over the city. So we really brought Shakespeare and continue to bring Shakespeare to people who don't even like to come downtown. We go to them. I love that community aspect of it, and also just the diversity of artistic uh, endeavors. You had kind of quirkier productions like Spy Monkeys, the complete. Deaths, oh, which was all of Shakespeare's did. death scenes, all, right? His, one of the funniest evenings in the theater was w- watching every person who ever died in a Shakespeare play die, you know, in 70 minutes. It was In kind of so, Monty Python form. Right? It was totally Mighty Python. Then we had the revenge of Princess Zidane, Chinese Hamlet from the Shanghai Pekin Opera. I mean, we had Muti conducting Falstaff. We had Declan Donlan from uh, the Pushkin Theater in Russia directing probably one of the greatest measure for measures I've ever seen with physically and sexually and it was a shockingly brilliant production. The Joffrey Ballet, Chicago's uh, dearest, uh, one of the dearest ballet companies here in the city, did a brilliant production of Romeo and Juliet. And then we had Jonathan Price, the great international actor who played Shylock um, from the Globe from England, uh, Merchant of Venice. Under the two eyes! Under the two hands, organs, dimensions, senses, passions! Fed with the same food! Hurt by the same weapons! Subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is! There's just so many different artists, so many different projects, and some of them were really little, you know? And let me tell you how the restaurants uh, started to join in. Um, the nationally syndicated television chef Rick Bayless at Tapalabambo, he made magic in the kitchen, channeling a midsummer night's dream. I mean, it was so delicious, you wanted it to do run through October, November, December. Because Well, then I would have been 500 pounds. Then we had <laughs> Todi Mantuano's Italian cuisine, which married the love and tragedy in interpreting Romeo and Juliet in his Café Spiaggia. Um, Ryan McCaskey explored the contradictions in The Winter's Tale at his two Michelin-starred Acadia uh, in June. And it went on and on like that. And so some people celebrated Measure for Measure, some people uh, the dish of ancient Rome inspired by Julius Caesar. I mean, let me just say the only thing that prohibited us from going on and on with these restaurants is that we Shakespeare wrote 30, 38 plays and we had 38 restaurants. If he had written 60 plays, we would have had 60 restaurants. Oh, it's an amazing lineup just of food and chefs, let alone ballet and visual arts. And I, I know it's like asking which of your children you love best, but, but uh-huh. was there one that stood out as your favorite oh. event, your favorite surprise? Well, 
I would say, yes, I would say Declan Donlan's Measure for Measure was extraordinary. The Romeo and Juliet from the Joffrey, the lyric opera's Romeo and Juliet. And, and quite frankly, the thing that's always my favorite, no matter what we do at Chicago Shakespeare, it's always free Shakespeare in the parks because then you see little children sitting, I mean three-year-olds, sitting in the grass watching Shakespeare and interacting with the actors as they do. And you just see a, an entirely new generation of of theater lovers being born. So I, I guess that would have to be number one for me. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. And hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. Something like this was natural for the the Folger to create a 400th anniversary celebration for Shakespeare on such a grand scale. But that you took this on in such a big way was, was hardly inevitable. So well, what we was have, the thinking behind your decision? Well, we have been accused of being opportunists, I must admit. And we have <laughs> the worst business- ways to be opportunists. I have to say, yeah, right. And and look, we we've always uh, my business partner and I, uh, Chris Henderson, we've uh, been business partners for about twenty seven years now. And it, I I have to say, I give him the credit for the idea. And then uh, Doreen Saig was the executive producer of it, really, or or the general manager of it. And the two of them really spent. Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours dealing with this. And Chris and I travel all around the world to see projects we always have because our international program is is great and thriving. And we really, I mean, I think the most important thing is that this is a huge anniversary. Shakespeare, you know, the legacy is 400 years old and he changes lives inside prisons. He changes lives outside in the parks. He changes lives sitting at home and reading a sonnet. There is always hope. There is always hope for me in the universe because he is a civilizing influence. So there is a community that comes together when you're doing Shakespeare. It comes together in Montana, it comes together in Korea. They have they do Shakespeare in in Japan, in Russia. I mean, in all of Eastern Europe, Shakespeare is very popular. Well, I he hear just... this word community coming up mm-hmm. uh, over and over in in your in your conversation, and and perhaps you've already answered this question, but but I'd like to ask it because I think at some point every production of Shakespeare or every festival. Uh, faces this inevitable inevitable question of who is Shakespeare for, or who is your festival for? And I wonder what what was your answer to that for the festival, and also what is your your guiding philosophy at Chicago Shakespeare Theater on that score? Oh well, I'll, I can tell you that our guiding philosophy is is a an inclusive philosophy. When we years ago, we've been in the present building that we're in now for about. 17 or 18 years. And when we, it's on Navy Pier, which is the Midwest's most visited tourist attraction. And we saw when we, before we moved to this space, Chris Henderson and I 
looked at the city from this beautiful pier, and we realized that we did never, the last thing we wanted was for Shakespeare to be elite. And so as we looked at this beautiful city and we realized they were building this building for us, that it had to be for everyone, that we had to bring in suburban and many inner city schools, that we had to bring in as many different people as much as we could because Shakespeare has the greatest range of human sympathy, of human empathy, than any writer who's ever written. So I imagine you just throwing your tentacles out to every possible well, we are. population demographic. Yeah, and you look at the mess that the world is in, and you go, this is a salve. This inspires people. This shows people that you can make the world a better place merely by better, being a better soul. Well, getting down to brass tacks, then, there are a handful of templates, I guess, for, for doing a kind of festival like this. Uh, the celebration in London during the Olympics comes to mind. Did you all decide you were going to start this from scratch and do it do it Chicago way or the way oh, that yeah. you wanted? That was... or, or did you model the festival on, on others you'd seen? Well, we were invited. They, uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company invited... Uh, me to bring my um, Henry Fours part one and part two to a great big uh, complete works festival at the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon in 2006. And it was a great festival with companies from all over the world. And that was very inspiring for both me and Chris. And I, I would say that, you know, that was one of the triggers. But for me personally, the trigger was when I went and saw my first international shows here, thanks to the international theater company that's now does not exist here in Chicago. But when I was a young actress, like in the 80s, I saw the Suzuki Company from Japan do the Trojan Women. And I suddenly said, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for more international work. And then, thank God, we started the theater and Chris joined. And, you know, he has enormously great skills to organize all of this. And we just knew that Chicago is one of the great cities in this on this globe and we wanted to bring and be the uh, kind of what is it electric zapper for the arts for people would think of Chicago as one of uh, the world's hubs for culture and um, par this was made possible and only made possible because of Chicago's generous cultural community. For instance, the Lyric Opera and um, and us, we have a wonderful relationship as just the Joffrey and the Symphony and the Art Institute and, and Newberry Library, all of these museums and libraries. We know each other and we're friends. And when we, I remember the first time I mentioned it, I think it was either to the opera or to the Joffrey, would you be interested in taking part in three or four years in a Shakespeare 400 type of project? Not one person said anything other than, oh my God, we'd love to. It, it's the spirit of Chicago. It's in the Midwest of right? Being smack in the middle of this country. And there is something about the Midwest heart, and I say this as an ex-New Yorker, 
that is so generous and is so we can do this kind uh, of attitude. I, I'm so hospitable to it. I love this image of, of uh, Chicago being the electric zapper for, mm-hmm. for, the, for the arts. <laughs> now, you mentioned your, your Henry uh, series that you did on Stratford on Avon. And, and one really ambitious element of the festival was uh, this two-part distillation, or, or you called it, I think, binge-watching of, yeah. of six Elizabethan history plays. Right. They were called Foreign Fire and Civil Strife. Tell us more about what the two parts consisted of first and, and about your vision okay. for them. Okay. my the, the two parts, there are different kinds of wars, right, being when you're attacked or when you are the attacker, foreign fire, and, of course, civil war. The umbrella title of tug of war is not just physical force, but the tug of conscience, the tug of what is right and what is wrong. And those tugs happen in every skirmish, whether it be in a schoolyard or in the fields of France. So the first three plays was a play that I don't know if it was done in this country. Nobody could find it. It probably was. I'm not saying we were the first because I don't. it's not important. But it was the little-known play of Edward III, which is about— Which, which is controversial because some scholars don't believe Shakespeare had anything right. to I do with Right. I can say after living with Shakespeare for— most of my life, is that he wrote about four or five scenes in it because you know someone's rhythms when you love them. Right, and, and there's so this those other group rith- of scholars that believe right, Shakespeare helped to write Edward III. Yeah, that, that I don't care how they put it. The important thing is that it was written, and it's about a very lusty king who's absolutely a great warrior, but The truth is he started a phony war. His lust and his lust for war and lust for women are really what this story is about. It is about can you control your own emotions or are you reactive? This is a great play to do right now. Um, And boy, let me tell you, people know it. They appreciated that. They love that play. Then we went right in because they were all edited quite uh, they had to be edited because who wants to sit through 12 hours a day of Shakespeare? I certainly don't. So it was just five hours running time with some meals thrown in. Just. But the second one was Henry V, which people know he went over to France and started another war because Dad told him, Henry IV, on his deathbed, Dad said, hey, you've got a lot of civil wars here. People are angry at us. So if you start a foreign war, everybody will get behind you and they'll forget about the Civil War. I myself heard the king say he would not be ransomed. Aye, he said so to make us fight cheerfully. But when our throats are cut and he be ransomed, we're ne'er the wiser. If I live to see it, I'll never trust his word after. You pay him then! You may as well go about to turn the sun to ice by fanning it with a peacock's feather. You'll never trust his word after? <laughs> Comes as a foolish saying. Your reproof is something to learn, huh? I should be angry with you if the time were convenient. Let it be a quarrel then between us. If you live, I embrace Be friends, you English fools. Be friends. And then the third play of that day was Henry VI, which tells about the the ending of that war. And quite frankly, then the the second day was Henry VI, part two, part three, and Richard III which was all about civil war. But the theme, of course, is what's important. It's those tugs. It's those pulls. All of us can be seduced. All of us feel grief. 
when we see soldiers die in battle. And I put on stage, and they were on stage the entire time. It was flooded with music. I mean, artists gave us permission to use their work with a, and we had a, a rock and blues band, rock slash blues band on stage, playing songs from people like Nina Simone, Tim Buckley, um, Leonard Cohn was there a lot. Because yeah, I really angry. staged, you know, folk rock protest musicals. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. It was folk rock. The teenagers loved it. The 90-year-olds loved it. I mean, the songs were so piercingly honest. And they, it, for me, it was the marrow of all six plays. Because when you hear Tim Buckley, it was the artist who sang it. it all of the actors sung really well. And you heard the first lyric out of anyone's mouth as you hear this sad song. And the first lines were, Once I was a soldier who fought on foreign sands for you. Once I was a soldier And I fought on foreign sands for you Once I was a hunter I wonder, I really wonder, will you ever remember me? And that's basically what these six plays were about. Oh, that's gorgeous. And help us visualize it. Was this done in Men in Tights or Modern Fatigues? No, no. They, it was, they were, they were, everybody in that, in the first three plays, had on, I guess you'd call it gauze. And the, the kings had long robes. The, the soldiers just had things that, you know, like a, a jacket that came to their, to their waist. But gauze, which in some ways showed frailty, Great right, and frailty. kind of ghostly. Very ghostly. And these songs, of course, were the soul of Shakespeare's plays because they were parallel and they dug down to, I mean, listen, there's another song, I mean, Leonard Cohn. Okay, now this you're going to love. So in three years ago, I told, I asked my costume designer to consider using Donald Trump um, as Jack Cade, literally since the second uh, three plays were in modern dress, I said, look, Jack Cade um, is anti-education. He, he was the populist he, blowhard during the reign of Henry yes, VI. Right. And he wanted to destroy all of, destroy the government. And he wanted to destroy libraries and he wanted to destroy schools and stuff like that. And so I said three years ago, having no idea, I said, look, I think we should, you know, use his hair and use his suits. And so the first thing you see of Jack Cade in, in the section of the second day, the first thing you do is you hear someone singing as he comes down on a red, white, and blue tire and dressed up with the hair and the, and the orange makeup. You hear Leonard Cohn, the actor singing Leonard Cohn's song from uh, The Future. He says, give me absolute control. Give me absolute control. Oh, 
but nothing grandiose or crass about that. But but here you, you're setting up my my the question that's on the tip of my tongue, which is, it's so often the case in in fraught times like this that that once anything strays into politics in the theater, yeah. people get offended. And and I'm thinking, for instance, we once talked with Michael Kahn, of course, the artistic director of the Shakespeare Theater Company here in D.C., about how he did a production of. Uh, time of Athens back in the 80s that people in Washington took as a critique of Reaganomics. And he said that people canceled their subscriptions. Yes. So did you get any blowback? Well, of course, realizing that this decision was made long before he ever thought he was going to be a candidate, I was nervous. And thousands of people saw that production. We got two letters of complaint, only Mm -hmm. two. So how about that? Tens of thousands of people too negative. So, you know what? And an artist, I have to be very honest with you. We only can do what comes from within us. And our board of directors at Chicago Shakespeare has put up with me for 30 years of, I get afraid, but ultimately, I mean, I do, I get nervous, but ultimately you could only do what's in your heart or you're not an artist. So I put it on and you Certainly pray. if you're talking about war and war creep, and mm-hmm. right. proxy wars and phony wars and endless wars. Yes. That's right. That's right. And 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 so I try and be fair to both sides if you want to know. That that what you know, that was an extreme he is an extreme character. But the people there were other people who really wanted to go to war, who were good people. I just didn't agree with them. But they were given you know what I mean? They were given fair consideration in this tug of war. Well, as much as I don't want to move on from politics, and it's hard to move on from politics, there is an interesting Shakespeare angle to this series in that you have these Henry VI plays, and and we did a podcast recently with Eric Rasmussen, who edited the Arden editions of the Mm -hmm. Henry VI plays, and he was joking about how hardly anyone ever does those plays, and how maybe now that people think that Marlowe and Shakespeare wrote them together, maybe this got people excited about these plays, and they'll start putting them on again, and... I guess what I'm saying is that most theaters consider them very challenging plays to put on, and people consider them in the audience challenging plays to watch. So how did how did you think about that problem? I didn't worry about it. I'll tell you why. Uh, even Shakespeare's weakest plays are better than 95% of anybody else's. Tom Stoppard said that, so I'm quoting him. Uh, but badly. I'm sure it's a paraphrase. Um <laughs> I have the most extraordinary group of 14 actors. I mean, these are most, many of these people I've worked with for years, and some of them, the younger ones, obviously I hadn't. They were so outstanding. They know how to tell a story. They were hilarious. They broke your heart. They were electrifying. They were singers and actors looking at your faces because this was done in a thrust. So it's a great sense of community. There's no distance between actors and audience at our in our stage. And man, it was electrifying. It was just electrifying. And Somebody, I I had three letters that said, why couldn't they be longer? Why did you have to cut so much? I mean, that was, there were many letters about that. Right. You did a lot of artful editing. I did. And I I, I did because, again, I worry, my job is to worry about everything in the world, by the way. 
And so, and I wanted also to be very considerate to backs and necks and and legs, you know. <laughs> so, but the the wonderful thing was that yes, a few people left, but the 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 beauty of this production was that it spoke to the hearts of children of all ages, and that the little ones got it. I mean, ten year olds sat there and wanted it to go on, and when you. When you finally, this was the first person in my life, because of the actor involved, Timothy Edward Kane, that really made me understand why Richard III became Richard III. Now, I couldn't have done that without, without the talent of these 14, 15 people. And they are Chicago Shakespeare's. They are the reason we have been so successful. Well, maybe you've just answered this, but... but... What lessons did you learn from this 400th anniversary that you would put in a time capsule for people planning the 500th in Chicago, which will probably uh, start in, in six months? <laughs> well, you know, what might you, t- Barbara, what you, might you are, tell okay, them? <laughs> you masochist, you. Um, I'll tell you what. I've always known this, but maybe a lot of people learn this, that... There is absolutely no difference watching a King Lear from Belarus and watching a brilliant production from St. Petersburg, Russia, or from Rwanda, or from Ireland, or from Wichita. It is all souls in this world are connected. And Make a festival wherever you are. Find any excuse. Shakespeare's 413th birthday. Go for it. Festivals are a place where all different kinds of people will come together to celebrate not only who we are, but where we come from. And if we don't know where we come from, then we will continue to make the same mistakes. And, and there is hope in the arts, in all of the arts. So mistakes can be seen and viewed and felt. You can see the continuation of, in Troilus and Cressida, the foolishness of a war started because somebody stole somebody's wife. And for 11 years on this Trojan plain, tens of thousands of people died. They died And what was left? Nothing. And the saddest thing is that mankind did not learn from that war. Our job as artists is to show how similar we all are, to care for one another, to bridge that empathy gap. Empathy means you you can stand in the other person's shoes and feel what they are feeling. Empathy is essential. So we don't keep making the same mistakes. And that's what artists do. Our mission isn't to blame. Our mission is to become conduits between differences and share our similar and celebrate what we can share. Because we share an awful lot more than we are different. Well, that is such a beautiful thought and such a natural end for a conversation I don't want to end, but I just had such a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Barbara. And I hope you visit the theater um, the next time you come to Chicago. Barbara Gaines is founder and artistic director of Chicago Shakespeare Theater. She was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. 
In This City Will I Stay was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor and Esther Farrington. We had help from Hannah Kennedy and Alita Zabo at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Colin Ashmead Bobbitt at WBEZ in Chicago, and Jake Gorski and Jeff Peters at the Marketplace Studios in Los Angeles. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge and the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.